with our scripture reading for today. Uh, Jonah is nestled back in the Old Testament uh, after Amos and Obadiah, but before Micah. Um, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, So let's hear God's authoritative, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord for his people today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are sovereign, that you are high and lifted up, that you are in control, that you are seated on your throne, that you are God and we are not. God, open our eyes to see the truth in your word today. God, may my words not be a a stumbling block, but may your Holy Spirit work and move. We ask this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So where were you on 9-11? It was my senior year at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I was walking down the path 
that day heading towards my counseling uh, for marriage and family class. And there seemed to be kind of a a nervous chatter out on the path. Uh, And by the time I got up to the classroom, our professor had wheeled in a a TV, uh, had the news going. And he had told us that class was canceled. Uh, We were free to to stay here and watch the the news program, or he encouraged us to go home. Um, All of us were seniors, so we lived off campus, so encouraged us to go back to our families or back to our uh, residents to be with our friends, to be in community, uh, to process that day. Uh, It was a shocking day, such a mix of emotions. Uh, and for many in America, I'm sure for many of you, that day is, is burned into our memories. At the time, I was living off campus with four of my best friends, and I don't remember what was broken in our house, but our landlord had called a repairman to come fix something. And uh, during that week, and for weeks to come, as you may recall, talking about 9-11 was just as common as talking about the weather. It was something we were doing as a nation, just trying to process what happened. And so with this repairman, naturally 9-11 came up, and this guy was a little rough around the edges, uh, but, you know, we didn't know. Uh, So we we were talking about all kinds of things, and the subject of 9-11 came up, and what followed was a flow of racial slurs uh, and just a, a pure hatred Uh, for the terrorists, for a pure hatred for all the people of the Middle East. Uh, And to say that he wanted revenge was an understatement. Today, I wonder if this repairman and Jonah uh, were next to each other. I wonder who would hate their enemy more. Well, in chapter 4, we see Jonah gets exceedingly angry here with God, First, we see Jonah in verses 1 through 5 getting angry with God over how he extends mercy to the Ninevites. And then second, we see Jonah's anger with God in verses 6 through 11 on the the judgment that's proclaimed on Jonah's precious little plant. Uh, So first, if you've still got your Bibles open, look with me, verses 1 through 5. Let's look at how Jonah got so angry at God for his mercy to Nineveh. Now, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 10, just as a reminder, verse 10, God saw what they did, the Ninevites. God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, in our English Bibles, there's a break there, chapter 3, chapter 4, but in the original Hebrew, There weren't chapters, there weren't verses, so the Hebrew just flows uh, from one sentence into the the next sentence, and so there's this continuity of thought that we see here, and what we see is Jonah's exceedingly angry, uh, his anger with God, his frustration with God. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah, is the literal translation of chapter 4, verse 1. Johanna Hoyt, a uh, linguist and Hebrew scholar, pointed out in her commentary the fact that Jonah was so angry, he was displeased. In our English translation, that really only just focuses on his feelings. But the Hebrew really gets at the idea that Jonah thought this was unjust. Jonah's evaluated the situation. 
and felt that this was unfair of how God was treating him, treating the Ninevites by extending mercy. John Calvin said that Jonah showed his very inhuman attitude toward Nineveh. And Tim Keller called Jonah at best a jingoist, which was a word I had to look up, someone who's characterized by their extreme patriotism. So Jonah was at best a jingoist and at worst a racist. And yet Jonah knows God is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And so Jonah is angry with God for God being who he is. Jonah is angry at God for extending mercy just as God said he would. Jonah's orthodox theology is getting him in trouble. It's interesting how in chapter 1, the wrath of God came upon Jonah in that storm. Jonah deserved the judgment, but he received mercy by being swallowed by that fish. Jonah prayed a prayer of thanksgiving, as we saw in chapter 2, but that was so yesterday. Because today, Jonah is like that ungrateful servant that Ed read for us in Matthew 18. Jonah was was saved from drowning, saved from the water, excuse me, and yet he couldn't forgive the Ninevites. He was angry when God forgave his arch enemies. And I think this really points to Jonah's heart condition, and if we're honest, ours as well. How many of us have gotten angry when we learn about a a criminal who's in prison and they come to know Jesus and they're saved and we think, oh, now they're going to go to heaven. I've thought it. They've done these awful crimes against humanity and then they find Christ in prison. Do we pull a Jonah and think it's unjust that God gives, extends grace to that repentant sinner? You know, the reality is none is righteous. No, not one, the Apostle Paul says. All have turned aside. No one is good, not even one. Romans 3. We all are disobedient. We all deserve God's punishment. We're all liars. We all fall short of the glory of God. But God is rich in mercy. But God is rich in in mercy with us. Tim Keller said it beautifully, on the cross, the justice of God exacted full punishment for sin and in the same moment provided a free salvation to all who believe. On the cross, both the justice and love of God fully cooperate, have their way, and shine out brilliantly. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Close quote. So we see here, Jonah really only wants God to be just. He doesn't want God to also be merciful. Jonah wants his arch enemies to be treated the way Jonah wants them to be treated. And if that can't happen, then Jonah throws a hissy fit 
and doesn't want to live anymore. Jonah wants Burger King mercy, your way right away. And I wonder if we ever find ourselves bargaining with God. God, I'll do X if you do Y. Or if I do Y, will you do X? If we say we won't serve God unless he meets our demands, unless he does something that we think is important to us, then that demand may be a heart focus, may be an idol that we need to pay attention to. Maybe God has been replaced by that idol. For Jonah, that was patriotism. His love for, his desire for his country, for his nation, the nation of Israel, was more precious to him than anything else or anyone else. He was obsessed with this truth. And it was more important than the salvation and repentance and mercy of these Gentile neighbors. So again, how about for us? If we were to replace Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites with our own hatred, who, who would it be towards? A certain political party? A certain person? A Hollywood actor? An athlete? Would we be found as guilty as Jonah as the repairman from my senior year of college? One commentator said, rightful racial pride can become racism. Rightful national pride and patriotism can become imperialism. Are we like Jonah? Are our values distorted? Do we hate our enemies? Do we wish and pray the worst for them? While accepting forgiveness and grace for ourselves. Jesus taught his followers that we must love our enemies matthew 5 44 we have to forgive them at least 70 times 7 matthew 18 22 so how do we keep this in mind as we head into the election cycle of 2024 you know i've already heard a, a woman at the hospital dehumanize uh, ron DeSantis and call him de satan i was like wow it's already begun and our curated news cycles, our social media feeds, just feeds the, that anger, feeds that dehumanizing of those people over there. So how do we know if we're in too deep? How do we know if that idol has taken root in our hearts? I would challenge us to look at our unanswered prayers, our unfulfilled dreams. Do we get angry with God that he's not answered our prayer the way we wanted it? Or do we handle the disappointment and move on? I think the difference can help us discern if this is a, a normal love or if this is an idol. Well, instead of sending another storm like God did in chapter 1, here God responds in verse 4 with a question, a question that you might hear a, a therapist or a, a chaplain ask Jonah. Is it good for you to burn with such anger? Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? We would do well to answer this question. Can we, should we, have we ever resented God's mercy and forgiveness given to anyone? 
including our enemies? Well, Jonah doesn't answer God's question. But instead, in verse 5, he goes and he puts himself in time out. Like a little child, he goes to to sit on the step outside the city. He makes a a booth for him. He sits under the shade. And like a a frustrated child, he, he sits in a huff. You can almost imagine him getting a bag of popcorn, just hoping that hellfire and brimstone is going to come down on the city of Nineveh. What's sad is here is a city with a king who's repented, and Jonah instead, Jonah is outside the city, angry, nursing his grudge, when he could have been in the city, discipling, teaching, preaching, helping this city come to know the covenant God and their ways. But instead, he's sitting on the outside, looking in. I said last week that Jonah was a type of Christ, one that points forward to Jesus. And one commentator picks up on this when he said, Jonah went outside the city, hoping to witness its condemnation. But Jesus Christ went outside the city to die on the cross. To accomplish their salvation. So in chapter 4, Jonah got exceedingly angry for, for two reasons. The first one was how God extended mercy to the Ninevites, verses 1 through 5. And now secondly, let's look at how Jonah gets angry because his little plant withers and dies. Jonah's outside the city. He's in his self-imposed timeout. He's having his own little pity party. And here we see God provide this relief, this plant, to grow up over him. And in verse 6 and following, we see the first of these three, what I call, you know, sovereign statements of God's sovereignty over nature. Here God's sovereignty over nature is clear. Ian Duguid provides a little comedic relief for an otherwise really serious passage. He says, The one thing that made Jonah smile is a little divine air conditioning. Again, we can relate to the humanness of Jonah, of his situation, of the challenges, of his trials and tribulations, and in the spectrum that his feelings are on. One minute he's blazing mad and he's feeling sorry for himself, and he's looking for retribution, And then the next minute, at the end of verse 6, he's over on this side of the spectrum, exceedingly glad because God provided this plant for him. You can almost envision Jonah saying, finally, I got a break. God looked after me. But as we keep reading, we see that the life of the plant is short-lived. The second of the three sovereign statements We read in verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. First in verse 6, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. And then in verse 7, not 24 hours later, God appointed a worm to attack that plant so that it withered. Jonah didn't even get 24 hours of air conditioning. So Jonah's 
You know, he was over here on the, on the pendulum, the feelings spectrum, flying high because he's excited that he's got the shade. And now he's all the way back, angry at God, fuming and mad. Like Tarzan, swimming, swinging to the other side of the emotional spectrum because God took away his shade. And if it, doesn't, if it didn't need to get worse, it got worse in verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So not only did this plant die, but now he's exposed to the elements. It's a reminder to us, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. God will judge whom he will judge. God is God. We are not. Jonah was not God. Here God appoints a plant, then he appoints the worm, and then he appoints the wind and the sun. From Jonah's perspective, his life is wrecked. It's over. He's angry. He's ticked. But from God's perspective... It's time to do a little soul surgery, Jonah, to look at your heart. What are the idols of Jonah's heart? God is wanting Jonah to look at the idols of his heart. And so in actuality, this is an act of mercy. It doesn't seem like it from a physical standpoint. But from a spiritual, emotional standpoint, this is an act of mercy that God is doing on his heart, exposing his sins, his anger. God gives and God takes away. So to get Jonah's attention. You can almost hear God saying, you were wrong to get mad over my extending mercy to the Ninevites. And you were wrong to get mad over my judgment on your little plant. As Joanna Hoyt said, mercy and judgment do not stand at odds with each other. Yahweh is a God of mercy and judgment. The two must be held in tension. So I think it's helpful here to remember that passage that Ed read for us from 1 Kings 19. To see the parallels between Elijah and Jonah and how similar their lives are. Both flee in the face of hardship. Both are faced with death. Both fall into a deep sleep where they're then miraculously provided for. Jonah by that plant, Elijah by the the angel of the Lord. Both sit under a tree, both of them ask to die. Both are associated with a 40-day activity. Both Elijah and Jonah are wanting to die. They're wanting it to be over. I don't want to suffer anymore. I'm done. God's grace given to them was not a hope. That could sustain them. They thought. And my chaplain heart wants to just put a pause in this passage. As we think about Elijah, as we think about Jonah, we see the suicidal desires of these two men. And suicide is not something talked about often, if ever, from the pulpit. But both Jonah and Elijah are at its wit's end. Both do not see a reason to go on. They despair to the point that death 
looks like the best and the only option. My question is, are any of you despairing to the point of death today? Are you thinking of committing suicide? I don't ask that lightly. It's a serious question. Please call out to God. Ask him to minister to you. And please let someone here know. Let an elder, let a deacon talk to me afterwards. Please don't suffer alone. Call 911 directly if you have to. Come to the hospital. Get help. Having worked both at UVA and at RMH now, I've seen the the terrible effects of suicide attempts, not only on the person, but on the family, and the, the guilt, the shame, the hurt. And there is hope. God's grace can sustain He may use unlikely things to save you. Look at Jonah's being saved by the great fish. The angel of the Lord that sustained Elijah. But please, don't suffer alone. Many people have thoughts of suicide at some point in their life. I'm not afraid to admit that I did. When my first wife left me, I thought about it. But I reached out. Even though I felt lonely and isolated, I knew I wasn't alone. There was a whole community of people around me. So please reach out. Tell a loved one. Tell a friend. Remember that the Lord loves you. Your church family loves you. We want to be here for you. As a church, we need to rally around those who are struggling. We need to walk alongside each other in these difficult moments. So that's my chaplaincy moment on suicide. It's so critically important that we talk about it, and it's not something to be ashamed of. But let us rally around those who are struggling. So Jonah and God, they continue to go at it in verse 9. And for a second time, God asks, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah responds, you're darn right. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's ticked. But with that, God takes the final two verses of the book to set the record and to set Jonah straight. We don't ever find out how Jonah responds. We don't ever find out what he said. We'll have to, I guess, ask him in heaven someday. But here, much like what God did with Job at the end of the book of Job, God speaks wisely and compassionately, showing the ongoing surgical needs of Jonah's heart. God dismantles Jonah's spiritual pride. God humbles him in a way that only God can do. And God shows the absurdity of Jonah's anger over this plant when there are 120,000 people who don't know him. What a stark contrast. One plant, 120,000 souls. And the biblical author reminds us, and don't forget about the cattle, too. So here we are again reminded that God is God 
we are not. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And God will judge on whom he will judge. It is his prerogative. We are not in the judgment seat. And so the book of Jonah exposes our human heart as well, the surgical needs that our human heart has. The book of Jonah exposes our arrogance, our racism, our patriotism, our nationalism, our pride, our laziness, the lies that we tell, our narcissism, our insensitivity. Jonah's heart is our heart. We are Jonah. But the book doesn't leave us without hope. The book of Jonah concludes where it started. Look back at chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the book ends with the word of the Lord. And the speaking of God's mercy over these 120,000 people who don't know him. The word of God will not return void. And we're reminded by this cliffhanger that it's fruitless, really, to debate with God. But Jonah is every man. Jonah is every woman. His human heart is still our human heart. Because we are born into sin. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. So we praise God that the Lord loves us, that he pursues us, that he does not leave us. He did not leave Jonah in this state. He pursued Jonah, and he pursues us. God gave Jonah, God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve mercy, but he gives it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. As one commentator put it, here we see God's righteousness and love working together. He is both too holy and too loving to either destroy Jonah or to allow Jonah to remain as he is. And God is also too holy and too loving to allow us to remain where we are.